Welcome to OT Unplugged, Community of Practice Insights. Join Sarah Collison, Nikki Cousins and Elise Fensk as they talk about the latest news and emerging themes from the NDIS OT Community of Practice. In our inaugural episode, we chat about recruitment, supervision and finding that perfect match. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the inaugural episode of OT Unplugged, Community of Practice Insights. I'm Sarah Collison and joining me for every episode going forward is Elise Svensk and Nikki Cousins. Very excited to be with you today to talk all things OT and the NDIS. Nikki, Elise, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. So I thought I'd kick us off today with our first episode with a bit of an introduction so people can get to know us if they don't already know us from the NDISOT community of practice. So Elise, do you maybe want to get us started? A bit of background about yourself? I'd love to. My name is Elise. I am a paediatric OT who's been based in Newcastle in the Central Coast in New South Wales. I graduated 12 years ago. Excitingly, I saw my little post the other day that's like, my first day of work, how exciting. And I guess my therapy journey has been, I came in as a bit of a mature age student, so I was pretty keen to always work in private practice. So well before the NDIS space, always wanted to work and be able to help people with what they needed rather than being restricted by what the funding was looking like and those other sort of spaces. So clinically, I have worked across three or four different practices before opening my own business, Sensational Start in 2017. So we're coming into seven years of that, which has been a crazy journey, which we will share with you over time. And clinically, I've done probably every pediatric training that is out there. So I love doing CPD stuff and I love learning. So really like to go and put myself out there. The last five years, though, I've been focusing primarily on supporting other OTs in the community. So I have my OT practice and the team that I've got there. And then I run a big pediatric workshop called The Art of Peds, which I think is in sixth year this year, which is like an intro to everything. And I supervise and coach therapists all across Australia and do some business mentoring and came in touch with Sarah probably three years ago when I wanted to put The Art of Peds out there a little bit more available for as many therapists possible to really be in that space. So very, very passionate about sharing knowledge and information. I used to run our local PEDS interest group. So very, very excited to be having this platform. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, Nikki, take us on. So Nikki Cousins, I am based in Maitland in the Hunter Valley of New South Wales. I graduated all 2007, however many years ago that is now. So I've been around for a little bit now, but I started very much in the hospital system. Thought I'd never leave the hospital system. The reason I got into OT was I wanted to work in a hospital. And here I am now not working in a hospital. (laughs) Yeah, never thought I'd leave the hospital. I was a neurotherapist in the hospital system. Worked in various hospitals across Northern Sydney, Central Coast and the Hunter. And then in 2016, my personal circumstances changed and it just meant that I couldn't work. I was working as a team leader at a hospital then. It just wasn't working out. I was a single mum of three boys and it was a lot of hours. And a friend encouraged me to try some private practice. And I thought, oh, I'll dip my toe in the water. Very, very quickly that took off because it was just after the pilot had finished for the NDIS. And now I run a small team of OTs at a business called Action OT in the Hunter Valley, and I work far more hours than I ever did. It's <laughs> always the way, isn't it? Which is why I had gotten out of the hospital system. Anyway, but here we are. So 
contrary to Elise, we do adolescents and adults, so 15 years and up. We do not do psychosocial. That is our friend Muriel Cummins, who will be joining <laughs> us on occasion. Muriel will make a walking cameo um, in the coming weeks' time. She will. She's a very busy lady, though. And I guess in terms of my passions, it has always been education of particularly emerging therapists and new graduates. And more recently, I think over the last 18 months or so, it's been looking at how can we support our new graduates with other therapists, senior therapists that really want to get into supervision, but aren't able to access that because they don't have the appropriate support or whatever. So trying to upskill therapists that have been out a few more years in how to become the supervisors of these emerging and new grad therapists. So that's me in a nutshell. Fantastic. Over to you, Sarah. Me. Oh my gosh. Okay. I graduated in 2003 and I was that OT that went through uni thinking, I'm going to be a peds OT. It sounds like so much fun. And then I was like fourth year. Actually, I don't like children very much. That's probably a bad career move for me. And I also didn't like the idea of working in a hospital. All my friends went off to work in hospitals and they would say back then that I just chased the money and went into rehab. But it was more that I actually really liked the idea of wearing a suit every day to work. Uh, but I managed to last in op rehab for quite a while. So I worked for the first two years here in Sydney and then I left to go to London for six months on a working holiday. And I came back five and a half years later. So I had a wonderful time in the UK, came back to work in op rehab and then eventually decided I needed a break from that. And I was very lucky to land a job with a provider that had a site in the Hunter up near Nikki during the trial phase of the NDIS. And that was my first introduction to working within the NDIS space and disability. And I just absolutely loved what I could see in terms of the potential of the scheme at that time for what it would do for people with disability. So probably about five or six years later, I decided to set up my own private practice. So Verve OT, which is based here in Sydney, is over five years old now. And we see peds and adults. I actually do see some pediatric clients for complex home wards. <laughs> I've wound that back. But yeah, we have a large team servicing that area. I didn't set up the OT community practice group. I feel like that's something I have to say. I can't take credit didn't for that. You? No, it was actually set up by a group of OTs up in the Hunter, Newcastle region during oh. the time of trial phase to really actually enable OTs to network with one another. And I can remember when I was working up in that area, I remember saying to some colleagues, when this thing rolls out in Sydney, Sydney OTs too competitive. They're not going to, they're not going to collaborate. They're not going to talk to each other. <laughs> and I very glad that I was wrong about that because I think what that community of practice has shown is that there's an absolute need to be able to collaborate and debrief and seek support and seek guidance and We've created this lovely community over the last five or six years. I think I took it over about seven years ago, where it's a safe place for therapists to be able to have those discussions and ask those questions. So very proud of what all of us have been able to build together. I do a little bit of work helping out with OT Australia with NDIS Task Force, and it's now the National Reference Group, where we meet a few times a year and, and talk about all things NDIS and what's happening from OTA's perspective in terms of advocating for therapists. And I'll just throw in that I am currently crowned OT of the year. I've only got it till October, so I may as well mention it again. The most of it's there. Before it expires, I, I was handed the crown from Muriel, who we mentioned before. And yes, so Muriel will be joining us for some podcast episodes in the coming weeks and months as well, which is very exciting. And Muriel does bring that real psychosocial disability perspective as well, which is fantastic for our mental health OTs that are out there. 
So what we wanted to really do with this podcast is obviously both myself, Nikki and Elise, very passionate about the OT profession. And we really just wanted to have a place where we could talk a bit more about those emerging themes and issues that crop up every week in the OT community of practice group and really nut some of those things out and get some ideas and solutions out there for how therapists might be able to take on boards and strategize and overcome some of those barriers that they're facing day to day, really. Absolutely. And I think Sarah's done a lot recent, not even recently, but over the last few years, for those of you who maybe haven't come across it, because I talk to a lot of therapists who, one, haven't come across the OT group, but don't realize about the huge suite of trainings that Sarah's company Verve OT is offering. There is every sort of training that you might need in there. And then if you do have more topics, please let Sarah us anyone know because we're always trying to put as much out there as possible because we all believe that information is power and that we want you guys to have the power and to see where we go. I was also going to say I run, I update the supervision list, usually six monthly. It's a bit of a massive job, so I only do it about six monthly. So I will be putting that back up there. We have many, many, many therapists on there. So I think there's probably a couple of hundred therapists offering supervision on there. So if you are looking for an external supervisor, the list is relatively current, but when you are looking or if you are looking at offering supervision, just be mindful about what you are offering, what your skill set is. But yeah, we've tried to set up, Nikki and I have run some free workshops as well for different things about how to look for your next job. So we've tried to do lots to support the community. Definitely. And it's such a busy time of year at this time of year. It feels like Christmas is done. January has gone already. We're already into February. And what we're really seeing at the moment coming through the group is lots of questions about supervision, about starting that first job, but also a lot of movement between OT practices. I think there's, there's often a bit of nervousness about changing jobs in the lead up to Christmas and kind of through January, but it does seem a bit like at the moment there's a, a bit of shifting in um, happening amongst providers with therapists moving on, either, either in the endo space to other providers or going back to the hospital system. And we are still in the midst of a really large workforce shortage as well. And it's actually on my note, I've got to follow up with OTA for anyone that was engaged in their workforce um, project mm -hmm. last year. Yep. Big yep. survey, big focus on what are we going to do as What's a profession. Come out? Nothing's coming. No, I haven't seen anything come out. I know that Erin, the GM, has got on mat leave. It's great to get an update from OTA, which I'll try and get for next week when yep. we catch up, just to find out what's happening with that um, project and what are some of the strategies and ideas that are going to come out of that? Because it's really hard at the moment as a business owner to recruit, but on the other side, I think it's really hard for therapists to see all these job ads that are out there and know well, which one's the right one for me. Mm -hmm. yep. I yeah. think we recruited, I think, well, we've stopped advertising because it's just pointless, to be honest. Yeah. But I know the, one of the last times we did run an ad, someone told me that at the same time as our ad was running, there was 300 other oh my goodness. job vacancies being advertised just in the Hunter at the same time. Yeah. There's at least 10,000 OT jobs going across Australia at any one time. So how do you work it, out who's offering who and... Yeah. And how do you compete with that as an employer, yeah. right? It's a really tricky thing to be navigating. And it is an important thing to know. I speak to many people who are going out and setting themselves up as a sole trader with an intention of growing. And it's, it's really, really hard to grow. Mm -hmm. I would say near impossible to grow. So if you're, I speak to many, many people, they're going on mat leave. They've just found out they're pregnant. They've got their own little business. They're like, oh, just hire. 
you won't, I who? think it's impossible to hire. Look yeah. at these established practices who have the money to pay. We struggle. So then look at you who is going to have to then work for that. So I think it's really important that we're all aware that there's significant challenges in that recruitment phase, but absolutely from the flip side means that there are so many job offers out there for you. How do you navigate? How do you pick? How do you know? I just saying to Sarah, I will often work with therapists who are looking for different roles and I know lots of people in lots of different places, but we hit Sydney and we're like, oh my goodness, there are just so many practices. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to push you towards. I don't know what the options are here and covering such large areas. So we were just talking about recruitment and using recruiters and thinking, how do we do this better? So I always say to people when they're looking for jobs to just do like a Google search and see who's in the area rather than running off seek or running off job ads. Mm. Sarah's tried to do a fair bit around these job nights. So Sarah will run a job night once a month in the OT group. That's coming up. So that's a nice one to keep an eye on too. And look, I'm always one of those people where I'm like, okay, how do I make my post look different from the 50 other posts that are going up at the same time? Have you guys ever done anything with Gerda Muller? She's got like this training that it's like a... If you write it like this, you will definitely recruit. You're like, I just don't think that's true. I just think that it's really hard to recruit. It doesn't matter how great your job ad looks at the moment. Mm. It is a really hard space to be in. It's about attracting someone to kind of notice you to start with, right? And so often I'll see people where they just share the seek link and I'm like, Mm. that's not going to cut it. Mm. It's not enough to draw someone in when everybody else is sharing the seek link. Some of the posts I really do love. I love a good photo. I noticed there's a a therapy provider out in Orange. I think it's called OT Plus. And they are really selling the dream of living in Orange. If I didn't have three kids and a husband and dog and a cat, I would be there. And yeah, you've got to work as an OT during the week. Look at your life. Look how amazing. Look at that lifestyle. Look at where you are. Like I I look at those ones and think that's really appealing. And I think you want to talk to therapists about can't just be about the job. Like what else beyond the job are you selling to I think this is what Nikki and I spoke about when we did that little free how to look for that next job chat that we had. For the therapist you want to learn under, look for the therapist you want to be associated with. Like the people that share your values. Many times I'll speak to people who are working in services that don't have a OT that owns it or the OT maybe it's not the senior isn't an OT. And I would always encourage if you're in that earlier space and you're still needing support, Go to somebody who is going to care about you as the therapist and the work that you do and how great that's going to be over, Nikki and I were saying, maybe not the best paying one. And that's really hard in a cost of living space, but the ones who are passionate and care are going to be the people who are going to support you and develop you and put all that effort and training into you. I think it's hard to do that though, when if you're moving to a new place, I'm going to work Newcastle, for example, and there's 300 jobs going at the same time. Who is that person? I don't know anyone here. And this is the conversation I had with a recruiter, Nick, because I said, who's using recruiters? Why would you? There are so many jobs out there. I get a recruiter and I'm like, why is that person using a recruiter when there's 300 jobs going? What is wrong with them that they need a recruiter? I think sometimes people feel that there's a bit of reassurance with using a recruiter, like that the recruiter has somehow vetted and appropriately matched the therapist. And maybe some recruiters do do that, okay? But I think it's very hard for a recruiter to know the ins and outs. He doesn't know. Why would a recruiter know? That's right. I was just thinking, I get these emails offering me, like they're coming to me as a business owner saying, would you like a support coordinator? Would you like a physio? I'm an OT practice. So why would I want any of those things? So 
Yeah, I think just be really mindful about how are they building those connections? How well do they know where they're offering it? We always get OT ones, but it's more like who is going to pay the biggest amount to this person? And if you're, this is what they're, they are seeking. And it's not, my client is seeking a practice that offers P and an exorbitant amount of money. And it's just that whole, if you offer this much money, this person will come and work for you. And I'm like, yeah. If you offer that much money, that person is going to be absolutely worked to the bone. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to need to pay for it. It, it just I think it takes out the soft way for you to go and see whether the place is a good fit as well. So when I tend to do an external recruit, I would love them to come and hang with us for a day. Come and see what we do. Mm-hmm. Make sure mm-hmm. that the way we work is the way you want to be working. Yeah. Because people can say they do a lot of things until you get in and see it on the ground to them. Even in Peds, which is a more narrow scope many, many different scopes within that space. So to make sure that it is the practice that you're hoping to clinically align with, we want to make sure that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? If the therapist is asking for 100K, that means I'm paying 15K to the recruiter just to get them through the door mm-hmm. and then onto a seat. I'd rather use that 15K for more you. of their salary. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it's in when we have this situation where I know we have a lot of our new grads and early career therapists who are being burnt because they end up at a provider where they've been over-promised the world and totally under-delivered. That's literally what every ad is at the moment. Like we're, yeah. we're different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what questions should therapists then be armed with to be able to make those decisions about is this the right workplace for me without having to go through a recruiter necessarily? What are some of those things they can ask or where can they go to to look for information? It is really interesting, Sarah. I was talking to some therapists last year and they were, because we'd done all this great work for the therapists to have, to be able to ask all the right questions, they weren't holding space to hear about the service as it was. So they would come in and just roll straight into, what will you give me? What does this look mm-hmm. like? What does this mm-hmm. look like? Without holding space to be like, so tell me about the job. What will it look like from your perspective? And then yeah. come back and then counter with, okay, so what would this be? And I actually talked to quite a few business owners last year who found that really hard and confronting. And we're just mm. like, okay, this is clunky. And I was like, oh, but I've been teaching all these new grads to absolutely ask these questions, but mm, forgot yes. that piece of hold space, listen, hear what they do first, and then make an informed choice around what the things are that you need to be asking as well. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's the approach we have too. Like I'm the most casual interviewer. Like I don't interview. I don't have a list of set questions. I'm like, come in and let's talk. Call it vibing. Do we vibe well? (laughs) The vibe of the thing. You'll be here like, you'll be here an hour and a half, two hours because we're just going to talk and see where that goes and talk about, I'm going to say, this is what we are. This is our philosophy. This is what we do day to day. We'll have another, at least another staff member. It's not just me telling you. And now you tell me all about you. What are you after? What do you want? Let's see if that's what we can give you. Or I'm going to tell you if that's not what we can give yeah. you. Although I guess you have to be careful in that. You know what though? Like I had a really great conversation with someone this week. So we'd interviewed someone on Tuesday and she's great. She's a great OT, would be a wonderful match. But location wise is a bit far for us. And unbeknownst to me, whilst I was having these second guesses in my head, she was having them as well. And so Mm. she emailed me and asked a couple of extra questions and I gave her a call yesterday and I said, look, you know what? I think you'd be a great match for us. But at the moment, location wise, it's not going to work. But I do know of a provider in your location who's recruiting and I think you'd be a perfect match for them as well. They've got an OT with 20 years plus experience. They've got a great little team going. 
you're looking for more of that OT, number of OTs around you. Are you happy if I connect you both? And she was like, yes, I'd love that. And she felt the same that, yeah, it'd be a great match. But if one thing isn't working, it's best to call it now and let's not go through with it because it's really hard on both sides when you kind of out of desperation sometimes because we have a workforce shortage, you go, yep, yeah, I'm just going to take them on and hope it all just works it itself work. out. And sometimes it doesn't work itself out and it can be really hard for both sides if that match isn't there when they start. So I think being really open and honest about what do you need as an employee from the employer that you're working for, but for employers as well, what is that ideal employee that we're looking for and how is that going to work both ways to make sure this is a successful match? People say hire slow, fire fast. And I think Mm. across business it's a really good thing to think about because when you hire fast because you're desperate and you're desperately needing to get somebody in maybe we you're not ready to onboard you're not ready to get them going you don't have the headspace to do it gently we're in a space of this needs to work which puts you in that trickier spot so I think that's it is really interesting advice and certainly over the years not in my OT space but over the other spaces when I've had different admins and been like oh that wasn't a good fit okay let's get that going so yeah I think that's something really important to think about take it slow make sure it's a good fit because it is so much commitment on both behalves to get it to work really beautifully yeah and I think there's nothing wrong with a second interview right there's nothing wrong on both sides of saying can you come back in? We've got a few more questions. We'd just like to explore this further. Or same for the employee, the potential employee, ring up and say, look, I'd just like to have another bit of a chat about things. Can I ask a little bit more? Or can I get a bit more information about your culture? Explore it as much as you need to. Yeah. I think even, uh, Elise, you just talked a little bit before about asking for recommendations and who do you go to if you don't know anyone in that area? But because I can promise people the world, but I know other people are promising the same and that they don't actually provide that. Anyone can say in an interview or in an ad what they offer and how do you know that's true. But I know we've had, so some of our successful recruitment or recruitment that's gone to other providers near us that we work closely with, that which is fine if that's what they're more suitable to that, is things like looking at, okay, what about equipment reps? So we work quite closely with a number of equipment reps and I had one of them say, oh, our rep out west has worked with this OT and they're moving to this area and they want to know who's good because there is the 300 jobs ad and they don't know who to go to. And they gave them, it was literally a list. So you go to, these are the four providers that you mm. want to go to. And there was one, they didn't go with us because it, it, location-wise it just wasn't going to work. And that's fine because otherwise if you work for me and then six months down the track, you go, I don't want to commute an hour every day. I'd rather you not come to me to start with because you were going to, and at least I know you're the same. And Sarah, we're going to invest all that time in training with you and you're just going to go somewhere else. So please don't bother if that's what's going to happen. But so looking at, okay, who are the people I can ask for a recommendation and whether that's starting to look at, yeah, those people like the equipment providers that you trust or seeing who you know in that area. Do you know any OTs or other allied health professionals that work with these guys, what do you think? Listen on the grapevine. We know around, at least like in the Hunter area, we know who we would recommend people to and we know who we would not recommend people to. It is really a very small world. So looking at, okay, who can I ask for that recommendation to see what that practice is actually like? Because Elise and I around the Hunter will tell you. <laughs> 
It will strongly guide you in the right direction. But like I have this across a lot of different areas in Australia as well. So I will be like, let's sit and look at this together. Let's look at these websites together. Let's look at what it looks like. And now let's give you some really specific questions Mm -hmm. to go and ask these places because it's really hard to navigate that by yourself if you don't know what that needs to be looking like or, yeah, it's just such a tricky space. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really interesting. So one of the, I interviewed some people earlier this week, one of them came from a Facebook group recommendation for North Shore Mums. So if anyone Sydney based, <laughs> North Shore Mums is a very large Facebook group. Yep. And someone had put in a post saying, my sister-in-law is looking for a new OT job. Can anyone recommend some OT wow. out there? Right. And so I'm on holidays with a friend of mine and I'm in North Shore Mums, but I'm not in it as I used to be when I was breastfeeding no. children every night. <laughs> and my friend said to me, oh, I saw a post the other day. So, um, someone was looking for OTs. I was like, you get on your phone right now. You find me that post. <laughs> you tag me. And so she tagged me and I got on there and I read what they were looking for and I crafted a response to say, okay, I think we could be a good fit. This is what we offer. We've got lots of mums. We do a lot of part-time work opportunities, subcontracting. And a week later, that OT contacted me. Also, as a mum looking for work. For a job. Yeah. And I was like, I would never thought North Shore mums being the place to go scouring. Throughout running the Art of Peds workshop, so over the years, I've talked to that many mums coming back into the workforce and having no idea that they're literally, because the workforce has changed so much in that time Mm. that they've been off. They don't realize that literally they just put their hand up and they can get a job anywhere. So they're in this space of like, oh my goodness, am I going to be good enough? Can I get it? What would this look like? I'm like, you're here. You are absolutely going to be amazing. Look at this training you've done to come back in and get going. So there is that big space where we do have quite a heavy sort of dormant workforce that is sitting off with kiddos, doing something else, yep. having health, just different things that would love to come back in, but don't know how to get back in. And like we've had such clunky conversations with opera. Oh, it's not a smooth process. Not at all. But to know that, okay, you're going to need, and they, if they come into an ordinary role, because they do have this background of experience, they're going to be expected to be here over, what should we be looking at? What sort of place would be super amazing and flexible and support me in this new way that I want to work? Yeah, the ARPRA thing is something that needs to be addressed. So it was actually something that came up a a part of that workforce shortage project last year with OTA. One of the um, interview questions I was asked was, what are the other opportunities? I said, well, maybe ARPRA and the board could do something about this ridiculous requirements, the supervision and the length of time that people off work. We have a huge opportunity to get more mums back into the workforce that want to be working as OTs, but we've made the barriers so high for them to do that. It's a completely untapped resource that we need to address. So I really hope that we do see something change there. Couldn't they do something similar in the nursing space? They brought back in that the recency, because their um, workforce was so short, they brought something in where they were able to jump over that recency of practice and get it signed off quite quickly. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that, I think that was in the last maybe 18 months. Yeah. So something like that in this OT space would be amazing. But we're like, I was having conversations with them. They couldn't get a straight answer out of anyone mm. as to what the process would be. OT Australia couldn't give them clear answers. APRA was quite clunky. They didn't have an employer. So they were just in this like limbo, limbo space of, this is too hard. I don't know how to get a job where realistically you put your hand up, anyone will give you a job. They're so desperate. They will bring you in. But yeah, it's tricky. We've been using that OT Jobs Australia Facebook page a little bit 
but I've encouraged them to put it on anonymously because otherwise you get so cold called by all these people being like, I love you, this, this, but the, but the, but, and they're just like overwhelming, can't take it. So that's not a bad one for the people looking for roles as well. But yeah, it's just, just an ongoing challenge area, I guess. And so what do you guys think a good job looks like, right? So obviously a good job as an OT, we want to have a good salary. Yes, the salary is important. But I reckon I think it's equally important that we want to have access to good supervision. I mean, I interviewed someone last year where their OT supervisor was in New Zealand. So well, yeah, not no, overly no. helpful. And I get requests all the time for supervision from all over Australia. Hi, can you supervise me one hour once a fortnight? I'm like, well, who the... I told you girls, I'm going to have to be careful about dropping the F-bomb in these. Who the is doing it the rest of the time? Like you, who's the person where you come back to the office and you go, holy crap, what did I just walk into? Or what do I do? I remember I had, when I, my first job I started and I was on the wards by myself and I had no one. And that the only other person there was from overseas and to be honest, knew less than I did as a new grad. And it was because I didn't have someone to access. I like literally, I had to write down all my questions. And by the end of the day, I didn't have this list, this huge list, just because I knew nothing. And I was in a new area. I was in North Sydney. I hadn't lived in North Sydney before. And it was like going, hang on, who's my person that I can go to and go, tell me about this to me. And I have students that come and new grads that come and they're like, oh, I feel like you're in my office. I feel like I'm in your office all the time, all day, every day. And I'm like, you should be in my office all day. (laughs) If you're not asking questions and you're not in here five times an hour, there's something going wrong. And I'm, you're quite honestly, unconsciously incompetent. So having access, who's going to be available day to day, not one hour once a week. That's from a clinical perspective as well. But what about just from a professional perspective? We just did a big training on Wednesday in our team around professional boundaries and your own mental health and all of these things that I tried, I ran a series last year for our new guys to do like all of these like soft skills, because again, you're hitting the ground running and I'm talking to many, many, many employers out there just going, oh my God, I don't know why they don't know this. Because they've never had a professional job before. Mm-hmm. They've never worked mm-hmm. full time before. Like you're not only are they having to learn everything clinically, they also have to learn how to be a full-time workforce member, which they haven't had that experience. So you're yeah. getting new grads going, oh, I, I really don't like working full-time. How do I take sick leave? How do I go to the doctors? How do I go to the post office? How do mm-hmm. I do life admin? Yeah, A life admin, even down to looking at how do I send emails professionally? How do I respond? How, is this the right language? So just to give us a little bit of an example, I've got a friend who's just graduated as a teacher. And so she has taken her first job. And I just think about all the support we're putting in place for our new grads at the moment. And she's gone into this new grad role And her first week is she rocks up and they're like, okay, here's your empty classroom. Now set it up. Oh, did they tell you how to set it up? What does it meant to look like? What does that look like? Did they orientate you to the school? Did the teacher come and get you set up? Also, I start with kids next week. Wow. Wow. That is crazy. So really thinking what happens during your new grad role in the OT space, that is a pretty big concern. But yeah, just interesting to think about. The other thing I also sometimes when I'm in this new grad space is to remember watching that as Grey's Anatomy when they've got all the, when they interns, mm-hmm. they go, this year is meant to be hard. It is actually a tricky year it and is. that's okay. Get to season two and three and look how much easier it's getting for them. Because I think sometimes we talk so much about this support and you'll be so supported, but it will still be tricky 
because you're still learning something brand new mm. and it's going to be a bit of a tricky time, but we want to make sure that you've got as much support as possible. Yeah. What about, I say to clients all the time, if you come to me and you do one hour of therapy once a fortnight or one hour of therapy once a week and you do nothing in between, you are not going to get anywhere. There is no point to you coming. You are wasting my time and you are wasting your own time. And people often just have that mindset of, oh, but if I have an OT appointment, things are okay. I'm going to get better. It doesn't matter what I do in that OT appointment, but things are okay. And it's that mindset about that super professional supervision. Okay, you've got formal supervision, but far more importantly, as far as I'm concerned, is the informal day-to-day supervision, which you need a lot of when you start. And even if you change or you change industries, like you still need to know, like a different place will have different processes, different approaches. You still need that on the ground informal support. Think about if all three of us moved into a different role. We were like tossing this up the other day. I was really interested in vision and I was like, but I know nothing. If I actually went into there, I would be, I could do basic stuff, but I actually couldn't do the job from starting point because I need to go watch what other people do and figure out what is this meant to look like in that space. That's all of us as experienced, very experienced therapists. I couldn't just start a job tomorrow and just get going. So right, I think for a very short period of time, I moonlighted as an OT department manager at a hospital here in Sydney. And one <laughs> of my team asked me to go do an initial on the ward. I was like, are you serious? And they're like, oh no, we just need someone to see this client. And I was freaking out. I'm like, I cannot do this. Yes, I might have 15 years experience as an OT. And I can coach you through it, but on the ground doing it, different skills. I don't know what to do. I don't know what paperwork to fill out. I don't know what to say to them. Am I going to have, do they have to get undressed in front of me? What is going to happen here? And it was just horrendous. And what are my recommendations? I can muddle my way through here, but I actually don't know what I'm meant to even be doing. I've been thinking about this. Last year, I put together some process steps for like pediatrics. Because I was supervising just a bunch of therapists across a heap of different practices and would say, like, where are you up to in their therapy journey? And they'd be like, I don't know what words it is that you're saying to me. That doesn't really mean anything. I'm like, okay, but if you don't understand what the therapy journey is meant to look like for that client in this particular service, how are you going to provide therapy to them? Is it a matter you've got them for five years? Is You've got them for five sessions. You've got them taking a particular framework with them. So a lot of the stuff I do now with new grads is go and ask somebody else that works there, what does the trajectory look like for that particular client in this type of service? Because otherwise you're often just learning splinter skills rather than putting it all together. So it makes beautiful sense. And I think the big like link to that is the whole, my big thing at the moment is competencies. You need to be assessed as competent in order to do A, B and C. You can't just go out and then, yeah, yeah, I know how to do that. Well, how do you know you know how to do that? Someone needs to be saying to you, okay, these are, this is all the parts to this process. And I approach supervision like I approach therapy. With, I'm like, okay, you've got the first three steps, but now we need to work on steps four to seven. And then, okay, you haven't quite got four, so we really need to work a bit more on four and develop. It's exactly the same process. So looking at, okay, how... Do you determine that a therapist is competent in everything from professional behavior to a functional assessment to then very complex equipment prescription and complex home modifications? I love how the NDIS put on their complex home mod template and their AAT request, please sign to say that you're competent. 
Okay. <laughs> you may be asked to show evidence of your competency. Well, what the hell is that? It's the yeah. same as your functionals. Like someone. I review so many functionals and go, I don't think you know what you're talking about because this thing doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I think you've missed some information here. Or we need yeah. extra bits here. I think I've actually talked to quite a few practices where they have the processes, the OT goes and does everything, and then it gets read by somebody else, but they're not a therapist. So mm-hmm. the, there's no therapist reviewing and going, no, what you're saying doesn't make sense. This is an inappropriate recommendation. This isn't okay. So then that therapist has been deemed competent and is growing and growing and growing, but has never realized that what they're doing fundamentally maybe isn't the right thing because they've never had a set of experienced eyes looking over it. I review every report that goes out. Yep. Complex my mods, every report, I see it. And I review it from a therapist perspective, but I also review it like I'm at the technical <laughs> advisory branch at the end. And I think that's where therapists, part of those questions to ask when onboarding is what's your learning style? What do you need to be given? Regardless of Absolutely. just one-to-one formal supervision yeah. in fortnight, mm-hmm. what do you need on the job? You do need to observe things. Do you need to have feedback? Do you need to have someone come out do you with you? need someone to write it with you to start yeah. with so you can see how they think about things. Yeah, so much to think about. So... We unfortunately have run out of time. I mean, we could chat for days, but we are going to keep doing this every week, guys. So thank you so much for listening in today. And thank you, Elise and Nikki. We'll be back next week with a new topic. Whatever you guys put out in the community practice group, we're going to be picking it up. And I will go back and check with OTA if we've got any sort of time frame on the force project. I would really do. like to know that, Sarah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's it's a great agreed. project that they've undertaken. All right, guys. Awesome. Thank you. I'll see you next thank week. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to OT Unplugged Community of Practice Insights. Join us for next week's episode as we chat about approval delays, pace and naming legalities for OT practices.